0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon.
1: Jason Murphy, Against the Stream, Wednesday night. Welcome, those of you in person and those of you on our Zoom channel. And those of you that are at the Against the Stream YouTube channel in the future world, appreciate you. Mm. I feel like we're just going to kind of get started. You know, something that I love about when it gets cold, when it gets wintry, is I'm I'm kind of like a bear. Like I like want to just meditate. I kind of want to hibernate and meditate and just try to stay warm. But I, and oftentimes when I have, um, practiced like doing long periods of retreat, it's usually during winter months, like February, March, January, February. Yeah. So I'm not going to give a lot of instruction tonight. I kind of just want to sit and just kind of move into sitting. So, um, I'll give a little instruction um, for those of you who are new, and for those of you who are old, (laughs) been around a little while, see if you can just allow my instructions to um, be kind of in the background of your attention and really settle into just whatever practice suits you the best, present time, experience, here and now, loving kindness, compassion, concentration, body scan, whatever works best for you. And then we'll have some discussion. Oh, I just realized that the Buddha is, we have a Buddha replacement. What's no All right, so finding a posture that's workable, that's sustainable, where you can feel relaxed and alert. And opening up to the
2: comings and the goings of sound.
1: Sound uh, is a great opportunity for us to be connected to this present time experience.
2: And then if you can,
1: You know, you can include the sensations of the body. Of course, sound is still arising and passing away. My voice, traffic, sounds outside the room, sounds inside the
2: room. Nothing is left out. And when you feel
1: settled, perhaps allow the attention to rest on the experience of breathing. Without attending to the breath,
2: the body breathes itself. but we can observe the breath
1: just like sound and sensations in the body naturally arising, staying for a time, passing away. And the invitation is that uh, for the purpose of this meditation, there's nothing worth thinking. Thoughts are still going to happen, ideas,
2: memories. Just see if we can de-emphasize the thinking mind. Just focus on one of the other senses. Or even the, the dance of all the other senses.
1: Of course, allowing the breath to be an anchor, rooting you back into this present-time experience.
2: You can become increasingly curious. What's happening with this breath?
1: Whenever we recognize that the attention may have wandered off,
2: just recognizing where it's gone, future or past, some story, some random song from 1995.
1: And then just simply aiming the attention back without judgment or criticism, it's just the mind. Just like the ear hears, the mind thinks.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: again and again,
1: recognizing when the attention wanders off and with a sense of friendliness or kindness with the mind, aiming the attention back. you. Mm-hmm. Can we allow the peace and ease that is the natural peace and
2: ease of the mind, the resting place to emerge?
0: I,
1: um, I'm gonna start with a, a poem. I also wanna just acknowledge that uh, we, uh, we have a group of our Sangha, our community that is in Joshua Tree right now, and they're three days deep into a seven-day silent meditation retreat, mm-hmm. which is such a juicy place to be if you've ever sat on a meditation retreat. Um, and I just wanna acknowledge that that's happening right now and they're working hard for their own freedom and um, have chosen to take a week off or been privileged enough to be able to take a week off and uh, sit and practice. And um, I can't think of a better way to take a vacation, you know? Hawaii Mexico silent meditation retreat mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just want to acknowledge that they're they're out, out there working hard and uh, wish them well This is a poem you may have heard before but maybe it's been a long time called, Oh, The Places You'll Go. I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too, games you can't win because you'll play against you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone you will be something quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance that you'll meet some things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. But on you will go, though the weather be foul. Oh, you will go, on you will go, though the hack and cracks howl, onward, up, Many a frightening creek. Though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike. And I know you'll go far. And face up to your problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. And you'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure where you step step with care and great tact and remember that life's a great balancing act just never forget to be dexterous and daft and never mix up your right foot from your left the dharma of dr
0: seuss
1: <laughs> and i just kind of felt like reading that today so want to it was between that or, and the Velveteen Rabbit. You want to hear the Velveteen Rabbit too? Yeah. It's so good.
0: <laughs> it's
1: so good. What is real? Asked the rabbit one day. Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you, for a long time. Not just to play with you, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Um, Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. But when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once or bit by bit? asked the rabbit. It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse to become real takes a long time. Uh, That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easy or who have sharp edges. Or who have to be carefully kept generally by the time you are real most of your hair is loved off and your eyes uh, drop out and you get loose in the joints and are very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except to people who don't understand, once you are real, you can't become unreal again. And that, and it lasts for
2: always. Dharma of the Velveteen Rabbit. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, the skill, how do I turn that into (laughs) fitting into my topic? Um, There's a lot of wisdom in children's stories, you know? And there's some in in Dr. Seuss, um, but I just love that one, you know? and the velveteen rabbit. So, you know, I've been talking about the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths and kind of laying out um, step-by-step the folds and how the folds play out. Last week, we talked about karma, we talked about rebirth, a little bit about rebirth. You know, rebirth is so, and that was wise view, the kind of entry, the entry place into uh, the understanding or the wisdom of the Dharma. And uh, today I'm going to talk a little bit more about really what's considered the first step, which is right action or wise action. And I want to just illuminate a few things. The Four Noble Truths are a prescription of how we become free from the suffering that we cause ourselves. And um,
2: the the first
1: three truths are really designed to break denial, to see our own um, delusions, our own kind of ignorance, and to break free from that. And then the fourth noble truth is, okay, now let's get to work, right? Now that you um, hopefully are no longer, you know, or at least for a moment or two, you're able to see clearly. It's like the, you know, the uh, clouds part. But the, the path really doesn't just consist of mindfulness, concentration, and insight practices. Um, which is, a lot of times that's what people want when they come to the, to the Dharma. Dharma meaning truth or truth in nature. But really, ethics are at the beginning of the path. Like how do we live in an ethical way? Um, and why? Why do it? Why does that matter? You know Oftentimes, you know what, what we call the precepts are discarded, and especially a lot of the kind of more um, mainstream mindfulness kind of uh, practices that have been becoming more and more popular over the last 20 years or so, um, some of which I've, I've studied and participated in and find it it's useful, um, but I've always felt grounded and wanted to be grounded in Buddhism, feeling like the foundation of Buddhism is really the the um, wellspring of all of these other mindfulness practices, and uh, so it's important, I think, to come back to okay, what you know, what is being whitewashed away in the mic mindfulness movement um, because of comfort or ease or quick fix, and uh, can we reclaim that? And a lot of uh, there's been, you know, I don't know, I've read maybe four or five articles from pretty, pretty, um, I don't know, pretty big magazines, I guess, about how the uh, the mindfulness movement, the kind of um, let's, you know, go to a mindfulness course or do an online course or something like that, how that um, misses the real transformation that can take place. It's helpful, helpful to learn to focus the mind. It's helpful to learn to concentrate. Um, it's helpful to learn to develop mindfulness and awareness. Uh, but without ethics and without heart practices, it, it's lacking. And um, I mean, I know this because this is what I've studied for, you know, 30 years, right? But it, now it's like start, it's starting to come out more and more that, okay, like there's there's more depth to be had here. Um, even in the psychology world, um, there was a lot of like, oh, mindfulness. And I actually call myself a mindfulness-based psychotherapist. Um, I've actually started to say more um, Buddhist psychologist um, or Buddhist psychotherapist. But there, there has been a, uh, a development known as depth psychology which is kind of bringing more and more of this kind of let's let's look at ethics let's look at how how are we living in a uh in a way that is non-harming along with um meditation concentration and whatnot so basically this is part of a course of therapy. The precepts, the ethical living, is a part of a course of therapy that the Buddha laid out 2,560 years ago. First is like, okay, come out of denial. And then let's look at how are we living in the world that is causing us suffering or wounds of the mind. You know, this is a course of therapy for wounded minds. And that's why I often will say that the Buddha was the first, the first psychiatrist. He was the first psychoanalyst. Um, because that was his goal. That was his only goal, actually. Free yourself from the wounds of your mind. And transform your mind and your life in the process. So one of the uh, aspects that I think is pretty relevant today... Is, uh, is low self-esteem and what underlies low self-esteem or low self-worth. And so when we look, we'll kind of break that down. When our actions you know, don't measure up, so there's a couple ways of looking at it. When our actions don't measure up to a certain set or standards of behavior, right? so whether that's internally or externally, there's a couple ways in which we tend to uh, react. One is to regret the action and then maybe change the action um, if, if we don't move back into denial. Or two, engage of one of two kinds of denial, either denying that our actions did in fact happen. So kind of like uh, just like making excuses, minimizing, rationalizing, you know, or even be just flat out Simple denial. Simple denial is like that. It's like Bart Simpson denial, right? Like, you know, that didn't happen. You didn't see me. I didn't do it. right? (laughs) Simple denial. Um, So the second level is to deny that the standards of measurement are really valid. So this is the kind of intellectualizing, the kind of gaslighting, the kind of uh, minimizing that happens when if, if other people it's like, oh, well, you know, the the I I actually do this sometimes where I'm like, you know, the driving rules aren't real. They don't all apply, you know, only the ones that I feel like following. Those are the ones that apply. And the rest, eh, they're just kind of, you know, if you've ever driven in India, like, yeah, there's more accidents maybe. But, you know, we all just kind of get, we all just kind of go with the flow, right? So that's like a a way of um, just like denying the standard of measurement. So the other thing that happens is that we tend to bump up against the ego. We bump up against our own ego um, when we're uh, working with the, the, the eth- with ethical integrity. Right? So these reactions are, as I was saying before, they're like wounds of the mind. And if you think about what What do we what do I mean? Like literally wounds. Like regret is an open wound, right? Tender to the touch, while denial is a hardened, twisted scar tissue around a tender spot. So if you think about, you know, regret is just keeps coming back, painful over and over. Guilt, regret, you know, plagues the mind. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Maybe you've never felt guilty. Like literally legitimately regretted some, an action, right? But plagues the mind very often, causing depression also very often. And then this kind of hardened, twisted scar tissue, you know, this is um, the, the denial aspect of like, you know, pushing it down and not fully attending to the wound. And then it, it it kind of hardens scar scarifies or calcifies over an unhealed wound sometimes i think about it like a splinter and actually you know the buddha gave a uh, a description about uh, looking out over uh, like an audience of people in some grove or another and saying that he could see the splinter of suffering in the minds of those present. And he wished, you know, he wished he he could remove the splinter of suffering from each mind. But he knew that he couldn't. All he could do is teach the four noble truths and the eightfold path. And give, you, give each of us the tool to remove it ourselves. So you may have noticed that in meditation, when we're, you know, kind of forced to stay present, um, sometimes, you know, we may tense or contort, you know, the mind, right? And, and insight, it's hard to gain. Only if the mind is free of the wounds and scars can it be really uh, able to settle. And this is partially I mean, this was my experience when I first started meditating and I had so much regret, so much remorse, so much denial, so much pain that I had been avoiding or, you know, anesthetizing with drugs and alcohol or, you know, pushing down in some way, distracting from, that it was, I became acutely aware. And, you know, a lot of times I, w- I work with people and they'll say, you know, I have a really hard time sleeping. My mind starts racing at night as soon as my head hits the pillow, you know, and, and, and to explore that a little bit, it is often the same thing that would happen if somebody just comes to sit down and meditation. Like the mind, you know, if you have an idle mind, what is there, right? That's actually from a neuropsychological perspective is called the default mode network. The default mode network is what's your resting brain like you know and that's a good barometer for uh how 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 many wounds there are in the mind or how well or how um how much peace and ease is present you yeah. know one of my teachers Ajahn passano uh, basically gave me that teaching saying peace and ease is the is the resting place of the mind the natural state of the mind is peace and ease. So why aren't I experiencing that? You know? And that was the question. So why, you know, if if you are, great, wonderful. And if you're not, what's that about? Let's look towards that. Let's allow some more space for that. So one of the ways um, that's talked about is to work with the precepts. And so, you know, what, what are the precepts? Precepts, first of all, are very different from, um, you know, in, in the Western view, it's considered kind of sometimes considered kind of morality, like, or in Western religions, it's considered kind of morality, a moral code, you know, a lot of religions kind of spout a moral code. Although I have found that a lot of people spout the moral code <laughs> don't actually fall through with the moral code, right? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, the religions that I have uh, investigated both personally and um, academically. <clears throat> but you know, there are those in and, and even in even in Buddhism, right? So let's just look at what they are okay wise sila is the word um which often is considered more the moral code but I, i like to think of it more as as ethics or ethical integrity so one is abstinence uh abstinence just in general abstinence from uh substances that cloud the mind or lead to what's called heedlessness right and uh if you think about that abstinence from substances that cloud the mind. There's a little bit of room there. But that's really thinking about what do we consume? What are we consuming? That is about checking out. That is that leads to heedlessness, which means um, not being able to kind of see clearly how our actions are affecting others. And this, the whole uh, aspect of what's called sila um, is is encompassed by a word called ahimsa. And ahimsa means, basically it's like the, what's it, the Hippocratic Oath, like do no harm. It means harmlessness. And so the intention is to do no harm to self or to others. And that's the, that's the intention. And then so it breaks down a little further. So to not consume substances that harm self or others. Um, to...
3: Here's something I found on the web.
1: Whoa!
3: let <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's turn that off. That is weird. Camera on. Whoa. What? Did no... Noah's like spying on me?
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not paranoid. <laughs> False falsehoods, right? To, n- to not um, to not lie to uh, watch how we speak to each other or about people. So slander, harsh speech and useless words is considered uh, under the um, ethical integrity group. The other is considered uh, wise action. And so wise action is to abstain from killing. Uh, yeah, it's good to not you know, go around <laughs> just killing randoms. But uh, it's actually there, you know, again, connected to karma, the idea of um, not killing, it doesn't just mean not killing people, right? It it, it even goes down to not killing ants, not killing flies, not killing mosquitoes. And, you know, I've worked with this in varying uh, success. Um, Yeah. In my in my life, both in the past, I remember this uh, really being on a, at a monastery and taking on this um, precept and taking it very seriously. And uh, I also at this time loved to sit early in the morning, like at at dawn, you know. And um, in most humid countries uh, or states, dawn is the time that mosquitoes love to eat. And so I, uh, I, I was sitting and this was going on for several days and I would, you know, put on some like mosquito repellent that, that seemed like it was attracting them, not, <laughs> not, they were just like drinking it like Kool-Aid and, um, and I would get, I would get really angry and I wouldn't want, I'd would, like, I would, you know, shoo them away or whatever. And it was totally disrupting my meditation. I was not able to settle my mind. I had wounds in my mind, right? I was afflicted. And I wanted to kill them, and then at, at some point, <laughs> I just said like I just resigned to I'm gonna just let them have as much of my blood as they wanted during the time that I was meditating, and I just resigned to allowing and actually, I think at one point, I actually turned to um and you know there was a few you know little mosquito bites, you know. Um, Of course, I wore a long sleeve shirt and I put a hood on and a beanie and, you know, did what I could to not have a lot of exposure, but it also was very hot. But anyway, I just remember resigning to just allowing the experience and then turning it more into this is just sensation happening in my experience. Um, And then within a very short period of time, I was no longer suffering about it. And I, I didn't even really get a lot of bites. And I actually ended up turning into some kind of a loving kindness practice where I was like, you know, offering my <laughs> blood. And, <you> know, <laughs> may, may, I sus- may I sustain the mosquitoes <laughs> for one more, you know, half a day that they're actually going to live. And, uh, and then, you know, I, they're just it, all of a sudden I was able to concentrate the mind. You know, so this kind of idea, and, you, you know, again, to very, it's, I'm not saying I haven't killed the spider, uh, you know, I have. Yeah. I try to remove them, but it doesn't always work out, you yeah. um, know. So anyway, to varying degrees. So stealing and sexual misconduct are also under wise action. Um, so there's abstain from killing, abs- uh, abstaining from stealing. And when I think about when I think about stealing. So first of all, I have been a klepto. Absolutely. And I actually spent some time <clears throat> of my life um, just believing that the world owed me. Yeah. Particularly large corporations <laughs> and, and stores and bosses, you know. Like, I would, like, steal toilet paper from my, this is how I was, like, in my early 20s. I'd steal to- toilet paper from my job because I they weren't paying me enough for me to be able to buy toilet paper, which wasn't totally true, but that was my rationalization. Really. Um, and then uh, coming to a point of recognizing that, actually, I think it was either being at the monastery or being on a meditation retreat, being on a teen meditation retreat where I used to teach and feeling that, uh, everyone would just like leave their iPads or leave their cell phones or leave their backpacks or leave their stuff everywhere because everyone in this place felt safe because no one worried about anything getting stolen. And, you know, while I was there for several years working, I'm particularly thinking about this teen meditation retreat. Um, for several years, I would work three retreats a year and we would have different kids each time. And, out of that several years uh, there was only one incident uh, where someone had taken maybe it was either a wallet or um an ipad i kind of can't remember someone got their backpack broken into and uh and then that person um gave it back like came and, and said like you know what i'm sorry it was like an impulse and i did this and they gave it back and they were totally forgiven and finish the rest of the, it was really amazing to mm-hmm. see that happen. Um, so that kind of, you know, coming to some kind of understanding about uh, really what Sila means is harmony. It's not about moral right and wrong. It's actually about mm-hmm. harmonizing, harmonizing our own hearts and mind. What's, what's the integrity of our own hearts and minds? Um, and then harmonizing with others. So how do you stay in harmony with others? Well, you don't fight them, you don't talk shit about them, you don't steal from them, you know. And then uh, sexual misconduct is another aspect in the wise action, and what what's meant about bisexual misconduct uh, really ultimately means um, to again do no harm to self or other. Uh, uh, And that includes internally, um, mentally, and, you know, particularly taking uh, uh, actions to not cause harm with one's own sexuality towards oneself or others. And that has all kinds of nuances, like not manipulating people around sex, like not um, committing adultery, not uh you know protecting uh children or or um people who have been maybe abused sexually like there's all of these kind of different levels of that but ultimately for us to decide for ourselves um, what is what does that mean what does that mean to be wise with our sexuality to be non-harming with our sexuality To not use our sexual energy or speech or actions to manipulate another. (laughs) Can you imagine if everyone did that? You know, it would be a different world. Yeah, even just the non killing part. Can you imagine if just everyone on this planet just took on the precept to not kill? You know, the experience uh, would be very different. So the um, other aspects of uh, uh, this, this group of ethical integrity is considered wise livelihood. So just to kind of recap, we have, um, we have kind of wise speech, which is to abstain from falsehoods, slander, harsh speech, and useless words. We have wise action, which is uh, to abstain from killing stealing sexual misconduct and also abstinence of substances that cloud the mind and then wise livelihood is avoid any means of livelihood that involves harming or exploiting of others and avoid avoid any means of livelihood that involves harming or ex, the explo, uh, exploitation of others And we have to make that decision for ourselves. I had I've had some people say like, "What about being a lawyer? Is are you exploiting others? Are you causing harm?" Well, I mean, I think I actually know some lawyers that fight for good all the time. That help to support. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a, a lemon law lawyer for when they buy a bad car. Someone buys a bad or their car, you know, doesn't uh, like something manufactural, you know, breaks on it or whatever, and then he you know he gets he helps them get the car companies to give them a new car, pay them a settlement, you know, whatever the situation is. But like I think mainly drug dealing um uh like um drug yeah, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, these kind of you know, exploitation, you know, um, some, some would say bartender, uh, you know, it just really, I think, paying attention to what that means for you. And that's a really key component of, of what the precepts are. The precepts are not a predetermined set of laws that you must follow. They're not commandments. They are suggestions that the Buddha gave Around, about how to heal the wounds of the mind. So he, and, and you know, one of the things I love about um, Buddhism is that, you know, the, the Buddha came to this realization for himself by viewing his own mind, by doing exactly what we teach to do here gaining insight, looking clearly, pulling back the covers, coming out of denial you know, seeing clearly the cause of suffering being our, our own actions, our own choices very often. Right? And, uh, and then saying, um, so he, he had this moment where it's called Ahimsa. No, it's called, what is it called? Hold on, there, there's so many of those words. I have I can't remember, but they're called skillful and unskillful actions and um, to see the mental faculties that lead to skillfulness and peace and ease and the, the unskillful faculties in the mind that lead to unskillfulness, that lead to, um, you know, torments of mind, regret, remorse. This that this is one of the things that he began to kind of, you know, discover, and then, you know, later teach. So the 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 precepts don't only. They're not just like like I said, they're not just like commandments, right? They're designed to heal the wounds and scars like help to create and build healthy self-esteem comes from living a set of standards and these standards from the buddhist perspective are practical clear-cut humane and worthy of respect and this is the kind of buddhist perspective of that and that um, you know buddhism is a non-theistic framework that grounds itself in ethics not in obedience you know um but to be in harmony right um so this is why i don't like the word uh, like mo- like morality, because that really comes from a Western religious perspective. Um, so the observance of these ethical principles, um, they, they really help to harmonize society on several levels, first on a social level, and then on a psychological level, and then on a karmic level, and then on a contemplative level. So these are the kind of ways in which they're talked about, and so on a social level, the principle of um, non-harming will helps to establish harmonious interpersonal relationships. Right? I kind of gave some examples of that, like non—if if, you know, if you don't have to worry about me stealing from you, you're going to be more likely to trust me. Um, if if you know, we're we're all entering into this understanding of non-harming. Around sexuality or around um, uh, uh, harsh speech or these kinds of things, then there's there's an ease that can happen, and that's you know hopefully what um, the the folks that are on that are on the retreat are experiencing right now, some peace and ease, um, having really followed, and everyone's agreed uh, this is this is a standard. So. And then on a psychological level, you know, we're talking about harmony to the mind, right, to per- the protection from the uh, inner split or cause of guilt, remorse, and denial. And um, one of the things that, you know, many of us uh, have, not in all aspects of Buddhism, but here in and, and against the stream or in the Theravada tradition, um, again, and just so you know, Theravada. there's two main schools. Theravadin, which means the path of the elders or the narrow path, and then uh, Mahayana, which means the greater or larger path. And um, that's basically the two main schools of Buddhism. And um, I like things the hard way, so I chose the narrow path, you know, um, or the path of the elders, meaning the closest to the the actual teachings of the Buddha. But anyway, uh, in Thailand, and then uh, when we go on retreat with us, we have these things called protection cords. And um, uh, not just in Thailand, in Burma and just any just about any Theravadan country. And protection cords are a little bit misleading. You know, like I have a couple of protection cords on my wrist. I almost always have one. Um, but it's not a shield. You know, it's not going to protect me from the world like I'm like, it's a magic spell that I'm going to get like somehow taken care of, or, you know, the Buddha's, you know, watching me or something like that. It's not like that at all. And some people misunderstand that the protection cord is a, a, a reminder for me to protect my own mind. It's a reminder so we take these, you know, we tie these knots and we we have kind of, there's like a, it's also called a blessing cord at times because there's, we're taking on the commitments um, and then taking on a, um, some kind of intention around following the precepts. And then uh, knowing that it's not going to stay here forever, you know, on my wrist, right? Eventually it'll, it'll fall off, yeah. But that it's to help remind me of the commitments that I, I have made, and it may be in turn then helping uh, maybe it will be a moment of me or others, you know, uh, being reminded and not spilling those moments of suffering out onto the rest of the world. Um, when it comes to you know agitation or uh, jealousy or anger, or, you know whatever. So that's another way, that's the psychological way uh, that really following these precepts is a way of healing our own hearts and minds and also protecting ourselves and others in the world. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a sharing of blessings that we do at just at the end of every, um, we'll do it in a few minutes here. And uh, the sharing of blessings is saying, you know, that um, may may all beings benefit from our practice, from my practice, you know, and and that doesn't mean like, um, you know, like there's when I ring the bell, there's some magic dust that gets kind of, you know, put out into the world, but it's actually just acknowledging that we're doing the hard work, and that this work isn't just for us, but it's actually by me transforming my mind. Um, and allowing, you know, less suffering to spill out, then there's a natural kind of cascading that takes it, or what what people call it, the butterfly effect or something. So that's another way of kind of looking at it. And then karmically, you know, uh, on a karmic level, the observance of these ethics or these precepts it ensures harmony with the law of karma, hence kind of favorable results in the course of the future uh, movement through life. And I kind of I talked about this last week, that karma isn't really about our past. It's about now. It's about how we deal and how we embrace what's happening now, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then that is actually constant. That's the that's the momentum. It's really karmic momentum that we're looking at altering and sometimes that's really hard to do sometimes the karmic momentum from our our past is so strong that in the here and now uh it's all we can do is bear it right is hold fast you know that's all we can do um and then there's other times where there's more uh pliability right there's more ability to make some changes and shifts And then, you know, on a uh, contemplative level, um, really, like I've been talking about, this is the preliminary purification of the mind in order to delve into deeper levels of what's called samadhi. Samadhi is um, is concentrated awareness. Uh, and this is where insight comes from. That um, the first, you know, and for me, it was a rough go. It was an uphill battle. You know, uh, and I'm so grateful for this practice, and I'm so grateful that I uh, had teachers that were like, "Yeah, this shit's tough," and that this is about purificating your purification of mind, and about healing the wounds that you've been, you know, avoiding. And it's that, and that's why I also think it's very akin to therapy. You know, the 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 word wound um, is also can be translated to the word trauma. It means the same thing. Trauma is the wound, and ther,a ther,a or therapy, healing. So that's exactly what we're doing here. Except for you're your own therapist. Or you could come see me again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just playing, but not.
2: <laughs>
1: I am a therapist. I do, I do see people in my private practice. But anyway, that's enough for now. Um, so, uh, questions about what I shared? Um, any, Any in the room, any kind of questions, clarifications? around the precepts, this really kind of the entry point, harmony, healing the wounds of our minds. Yeah.
3: or goes away, I think you use that language, right? mm-hmm. you say when you the wound goes away, but like, in my experience, the wound or the scar doesn't go away. Right?
1: Scar and the wound are different.
3: Right, the wound heals, the scar is still there. And I like the way you talked about, you know, um, like when you tend to the wound, like when you look at it and you unpack it, then
2: when you feel it.
3: Yeah, you feel it, like you have the scar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's like, I guess I just kind of tripped out a little bit on go away, where for me it's about, okay, I accept that there was a wound, you worked really hard on healing it, and there's there always going to be a scar, and mm-hmm. then accepting the scar, you know. Um, yeah. That works for me. But there was something about going away where, I knew you didn't really mean that like you know
1: what I mean so there's a question there yeah no I mean I think it's a good point which is that um we we and it's connected I think to karma which is that you know karmic momentum is still taking place and um the wounds of the mind are are going to play themselves out and my experience is that what seemed like unbearable Uh, You know, impossible to kind of face or deal with, um, became more manageable, became smaller, became easier, became more tall. I I became more tolerable of the the, dealing with the pain, kind of like the mosquitoes, you know, and then they were just mosquitoes. They were just actually sensation, you know. Um, where in the beginning it was like, these fucker,
2: kill these mosquitoes,
1: you know, because that was, that was just the agitation in my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. Please. Um, there were so many things that you said, I kind of got lost in everything, but could you just describe the two types of denial that you were talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, there's denial that of the I'm just going to refer back to my notes because I kind of said a lot of things. Yeah, so there's uh, the two kinds of one. One is denying that the action even happened, the simple denial, right? Like the Bart Simpson denial. And then and then the other is negating the um, the, the measurement of of the you know kind of the action, right, meaning um, Like, it it wasn't really valid. Like, I used the uh, traffic rules as an example. Like, okay, stoplights are good. You know, we kind of need them so we don't crash into each other. But, you know, double lines, spotted lines, white lines, eh, you know, that's kind of, that's what I mean. As far as, like, you know, basically intellectualizing around not taking responsibility for the fact that I can kind of drive like an asshole sometimes. Well, I don't know. I think it depends. I think they both occur, and I think it depends on the person. I mean,
3: like just in daily life. I think talked about or it, just
1: depends on the person. I like the way you ask questions. <laughs> and so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to answer that question for yourself. What way? Which which one do well, you? That's why
3: I Uh-huh. Where i was just in denial about so many things right. but in everyday life i feel like like the traffic thing i do uh-huh. that all the time uh-huh. i'm right. like california gold queen you know so yeah. Yeah. for me the second one
1: yeah. okay yeah and that's really the question is for each of us you know um What's the level you know what's the what's the and you know there's more types of denial than that there's minimizing there's rationalizing there's, you know there, but the simple denial is just like that didn't happen. Which I think uh, it tends to be um, something that happens for a lot of people and that's why the Buddha. uh, starts with let's come out of denial. about so many things, but first of all let's just acknowledge that they're suffering here. Let's stop avoiding it, right? And then, that's like rac- that's like recognizing, oh, I have a gaping wound, you know.
3: <laughs>
1: that's like maggot infested, you know. That's it's like, oh yeah, let's come out of denial about that, so that we can deal with it.
2: Okay, so we're out of
1: time. Um, you can. Yeah, you can come back next next week, um, but yeah, we're out of time. Sorry. Thank you for attending. Please, if you um, if you like what's happening here, uh, help to support this center. There is a bowl um, for Donna. Donna is uh, generosity. Um, generosity helps to keep the doors open and the uh, uh, this center sustained. Uh, if you're online, um, thank you, Mark for putting that up. Um, you can click on the donation button. And um, you can donate at againstthestream.com. Also Venmo against the stream meditation, which there's also a Venmo right next to that bowl if you don't have cash. So thank you for your time and attention. Oh, the suggestion is a $15 donation. Of course, pay what you can. All are welcome, regardless of ability to pay. Good, so we're just gonna gather all the blessings, all the goodness of our practice. And we're gonna dedicate the, our practice. To, to the freedom from suffering for all beings. May all beings be free.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.